So tonight, we're going to be in 1 Chronicles chapter 23. We read three chapters on Tuesday in 1 Chronicles 23, 24, and 25. They are linked together. It's really the conclusion of King David and his administration, how he ended his journey with the Lord before stepping into eternity and Solomon, his son, replacing him. When we get to the end of the, the book in just a couple of weeks, it's going to be Solomon preparing to build the temple and Solomon building the temple. So that's where we're moving toward. But this amazing life of King David is still in front of us in the version from Chronicles and coming to a conclusion in these chapters. So as we pick it up in chapter 23, that's where we're coming into. It's about 1000 B.C. And that great king, the second king of Israel, the man with the heart after God, is doing certain things before he steps into eternity, and they're worth noting. So we just got a few verses tonight, but we will connect it with other passages as well. So verse 1 of chapter 23, 1 Chronicles, reads like this. So when David was old and full of days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel, and he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites. Now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above, and the number of individual males was 38,000. Of these, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers. 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving praise. Most of what comes after this is a summary of names and who filled these positions, under what circumstances, and how we got there. If you recall, the nation of Israel has been in the promised land for about 500 years since Moses led them out of Egypt in the bondage. They've had the hundreds of years with the judges. David, becoming king, he brought the central place of worship. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And then eventually, as we saw last week, they, they got the tabernacle there as well. Everything was centralized in Jerusalem. And everything is basically the table set for Solomon to rise up in his time, build this amazing temple. It's going to take him a decade to do it build the amazing temple of God that would survive for centuries and build it and do it. And what David is doing in the latter part of his life is God had told him, you cannot build the temple because you're a man of war and a man of blood. And it's just, it's just not for you. David had a heart for the Lord and he saw much conflict in his lifetime, but he was a man of blood. Solomon was incredibly wise and organized, administratively brilliant, beyond measure, beyond most human beings would ever be. He was a man of peace, a time of peace, but he didn't quite have a heart for the Lord the same way his dad did. That's kind of the contrast between those two kings and the father-son in their relationship. But here, as David comes to the conclusion of his life, though he couldn't build a temple, he got the wealth together of his own wealth that he gave for the temple. He had wealth he acquired from conquering other enemies that was set aside for the temple. He drew up plans for the temple, and he encouraged Solomon to do that work of building the temple. And in these couple of chapters, 23, 24, 25, he organized all these Levites who were that one tribe of the 12 that had the, the ministry of the priesthood to the Lord on behalf of all the other people. And he organized them in a very efficient way to do the ministry, really the twofold ministry that would lay before them once they were working in the temple. They would do the animal sacrifices to make intercession for the people, the burnt offering, the trespass offering, the sin offering, the grain offering, 
the heave offering, the wave offering, the various offerings, and of course, Passover lamb as well. They would do all of that. And there was a lot of people, and it's a, it's a full-time job. It's basically a 24-7 job. People never stop sinning, and people never stop needing an atonement for their sins. And so David is organizing tens of thousands of Levites for the work of the ministry to provide atonement for their sins under that covenant as God had prescribed in his word. But at the same time, David is also organizing thousands of, well, hundreds of men, thousands of men to lead praise and worship for the Lord at the same time. And what he did is he was operating from the lunar calendar of 48 weeks. And he organized the Levites who helped the priest, and there's a distinction. Because in the tribe of Levi, there's the Kohathites, the Marites, and the Gershonites. So Levi's the head, three sons. And it's only the Kohathites who could do the priestly work. So these other Levites, they had to do additional work, but they couldn't do the animal sacrifices, but they could support the efforts of doing the animal sacrifices. And even amongst the Kohites, there was four subdivisions in a, of the, the line of Aaron that only the high priest could do the work of Yom Kippur and those things. So in this system, David, before he steps into eternity, he sets up this brilliant plan of groups of 24 a cycle of 24 with the priesthood to do the animal sacrifices with the Levites, and a cycle of praise and worship to the Lord of 24. That's how we ended the other night, verse by verse. And so two groups of 24 running parallel for the obligations of sacrifices for sins and failures of the people, and another group of 24 sequences of 24 to sing praises to the Lord and prophesy to the Lord. He put those two together to ensure that as he moved on into glory, that the people of God would be set to go, good to go, and that once that temple was built, it would have efficiency of function as opposed to something that's built and it's not working the way it's meant to be built. And that's our context tonight with what, and it makes you appreciate David as administrator because we often think of him as a worshiper and Solomon as administrator. But you really realize when we were reading through this Tuesday night, and David was sharp, man. He had great administration, and Solomon just took it to another level. But the verse that stood out on Tuesday stands out again tonight. This very first verse, when David was old and full of days. And we get some insights to how he, what kind of person he is as he's old and full of days. And there's stuff here that we can think about and take to heart. When we think about being old and full of days, this is something that's really come to my mind on this topic, just the topic itself, before we get some points from the text is as I take care of my elderly dad, who's 93, and I'm regularly, you know, seeing assisted living, uh, independent living, and, and memory care. You know, you got to go through these doors and push the buttons to go to memory care. You can't just walk in there, because if you don't know, that's kind of how it works. And I'm, I'm surrounded by caregivers who take care of my dad and other people, and I know, I know them, and we have great relationships. I've really realized something in these last seven years of essentially running my dad's estate for him and taking care of him in these circumstances. I realize that everything we live for becomes who we are when we're old and full of days. I realize that everything you've sown is exactly what you're going to reap. And if you don't like what you're reaping today, you better change what you're sowing tomorrow because you're only going to reap more of it in your future. See, we can't change a lot of things on planet Earth, but we can change the woman and the man in the mirror. And really, we need to see ourselves watching and ready for when we're going to stand before the Lord, the day of the Lord. It's the greatest reality hanging over every one of us. 
And as you see, when you get near the end of the journey, all what you see is everything a person has sown, their worldview, their attitudes. Uh, if, they never, if they never grew up, you know, if it's all about them, and, you know, usually drug addicts don't live to be old, and most alcoholics don't make it too far down the road, although some people's livers just keep on giving. But as a whole, you know, all the people that crystal meth and hard drugs, they don't usually clear 50, all right, or in the heart attack zone for men. So really what you have, you know, when guys clear 60, they're headed toward the 80s, and then it's really what you see men in their 80s, what they're made of. What I've learned is the end of the journey is the full reflection in the mirror for every individual in God's perfect universe. It is number one law of the universe, even greater than gravity is, as a man sows, shall shall he reap. As a woman sows, shall shall she reap. And everything we sow from kindergarten right to memory care will be revealed in time, space, and matter. And that is a sobering thought and a thought of urgency for all of us to think about who we are today, and who do we want to be tomorrow, and who do we want to be five years from now, and who do we want to be? See, when people get fuzzy, and they do, people do get fuzzy as they get older. Sooner or later, you'll live long enough where you are very fuzzy if you don't step into eternity. You just get more fuzzy. That's, at best, it's fuzzy. And when you're fuzzy, all that you sowed is all that you're reaping. All that you put in you is what's coming out of you. All that went in here is what's coming out of here. And if it's fragmented and there's dementia and Alzheimer's and there's only portions of what was there, hey, if it was all good, it's all good. If it was all bad, nothing's good. And that's a very sobering thought. And I go twice a week to your facility and I see the future for me if I live long enough. What we sow, we reap. And when we're old and full of days, when we look in the mirror and we look at our life, it will reflect exactly, not sort of, it will reflect exactly everything we did in our life. And that's the preview of eternity, because when we step in eternity, that's where we really get the sowing and the reaping of everything we did. We get it in time, space, and matter on the back end, but we get it when we flip dimensions that were in eternity and all that you sowed for in time is all that you are in eternity faith optimism confidence in the lord love forgiveness compassion that's what you're going to have in eternity but if you had unbelief negativity bitterness wrath and malice that's what you get in eternity and you'll get it by yourself because none of those things are in the kingdom the kingdom is love joy hope peace faith the praise of the Lord. So here's David, the very end of his life. And we see who the man really is. He stepped into eternity at the age of 70. He was 70. Now, you can be really sharp at 70. You can be really sharp at 80. David had 70 years. Moses said 400 years before, the days of man are 70 years or by measure of strength, 80. David literally got the exact number from Psalm 91 that Moses spoke. 70 years. 70 years is what he got. And in this final year of his life, when he was old and full of age, in these first few verses, these five verses, there's three things that really jump out to me that also are supported in the additional text that came in 24 and 25. The, the rest of chapter 23 and 24, 25. 
It says in his very first verse that he made his son Solomon king over Israel. He made Solomon his son king over Israel. You could miss the significance of that unless you've watched elderly people not be willing to let anything go in their life. Some people can never let go. They can't let go of their money, their wealth, their identity, their gripes, their complaints, their murmurings. They just can't let go. They can't do it when they're 30. They can't do it when they're 50. They can't do it when they're 70. Letting go of what God says to let go is a learned skill in the human experience. Now, there's TV shows about hoarders. What would you say is the number one factor of hoarders? They can't let go of things. They can't let go of anything. Debbie Bryson, our good friend down there at Calvary Vista, extremely successful realtor, my mom's best friend back in the 80s and 90s and even to her death, my mom's passing three years ago. Debbie Bryson shared with me just a few years ago how often when someone steps into eternity with uh, elderly age, how many homes, just everything's left behind. They never gave it away. They never let it go. And literally, flippers come in, and they pull up that 30 by 10, you know, that 30-foot-long tent yeah, dumpster, and everything goes in it. They never let go of it, and then it just goes to the landfill. They couldn't give it to, they couldn't let it go to their spouse or ex-spouse. Hey, what a great thing to give your ex-spouse, a great gift when you in eternity. That'll look good before the throne of God, by the way. They couldn't give it to the estranged children because they're going to have the final say against estranged children. They couldn't give it to a, to a charity group because they didn't have any charity groups. You see? Wow. Letting go is something that you can learn through life. You let go of a position. You let go of a house. When we moved from our house that we lived in for 10 years in Costa Mesa, we lived there from 2000 to 2010. Our kids essentially grew up in that house while going to school at Calvary Chapel Schools. Man, it seemed like it was be easy enough to move from that house. It was during that recession, 2009, you know, 2010. I'll tell you what, the last two days in that house, we all cried. We got a family photo right when we're about to leave, all of us. And everyone's eyes are just swollen because we're letting go of 10 years of growing up in that house. But we moved on to new things. You know, we moved on to a new chapter living in Huntington Beach for the last 13 years and what God's had. But that's hard. Letting go of a position, you know, when you retire from positions often, like teachers, they honor you and they give you something, or you're a corporate and they give, you know, you take your box, you leave your cubicle, whatever, and that's it. They give you, hey, employee of the year for 2013, and thank you for your service. It can be really hard to let go. But here's the key to letting go, I find in my life. I've had to let go of a lot of things. The key to letting go is looking ahead. See, if David giving up the kingdom of Israel to his son was a regression, it'd be hard to let go. In other words, it was like, my, think about this. David's entire identity was being the king of Israel. He's the king. He's got the power. He's got the military. He's got the trophy room from all the victories, the crowns he has. He literally had the crowns of kings he conquered. All, it was like a, te- like he, it's like the captain's chair in Star Trek. I know that's a terrible analogy, but like he was that guy. He has the chair. He's in charge of it, the enterprise. He's the guy. It's his total identity. The finances, the position, 
the power, and he earned it by defeating Goliath, being persecuted by his father-in-law, all that he went through. His sins known to the entire nation with Bathsheba and the census, and there he is on the king's throne at the age of 70. And he had to let go. You know, the longer you hold on to something that God's saying let go, the less likely you will let it go. Whether it's a possession, a memory, bitterness, anything, wealth, it just, the longer you hold on to it, the more likely it'll hold on to you. And instead of you being the master of that choice, that choice becomes master of you. David, there's a beauty. He is, has so much power. He's the CEO of this kingdom. And he, no one, to his last day, even if he's got dementia, no one's going to tell David he can't do what he wants to do. He earned that equity with the nation of Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, some people hang on too long at a job, and they're the, they're the you know, they're the boss, and they're not as efficient anymore, but no one will remove them because, you know, they, they, they earned this goodwill by how much they accomplished in their prime. And no one wants to tell them, like, hey, you probably, can you let go? But we're talking about the kingdom of God here and a man of God. And we know in 1 Kings the story behind it because he was just kind of fuzzy, and then they came to him and said, hey, Nathan the prophet's like, oh, David, it's a bad scene here. Adonis says he's the king, and... It's going to be bad news for Bathsheba. Well, he went to Bathsheba first. Nathan did. And all these things happened. But then David was prompted, you have to resolve this or there's going to be civil war. There's going to be unrest. There's lack of clarity. And to his credit, he did. He said immediately, do this, do this, do that. And he kind of snapped out of his little fuzzy zone. And they recognized Solomon as king. The people rejoiced. It was a huge feast. And it settled that uncertainty. David letting go in that last year of his life And giving the kingdom to his son showed a lot about what kind of man he was because I've seen a lot of men that will never let go till their last breath. They die holding on to whatever it is they're holding on to, and women. So worship generation, body of Christ, this story, this first point, that he let go of such a powerful position before it was going to, before he stepped into eternity, he let go of this power and everything he built up and just really prepared himself for what lied ahead. See, with the Lord, it's always forward, onward, and upward, right? So when you're letting go of something, that means you're now, equi- you're now letting someone else, God, put someone else there in that place. You're letting God seal that memory. You're letting God do something here. But when you hold on to things that God says let go of, you're, you're hindering, usually in the case of business and things like that, you're hindering the, the person that's meant to come in and replace that with the Lord. Or it's just an anchor keeping you from the glory toward the Lord. The best way to let go is to look up. The best way to let go of the past is to look up to the future of glory with the Lord. And David had such a heart for the Lord, and he was heavenly-minded and kingdom-minded, and he let go. Now, maybe the younger people here tonight are saying, well, you know, I haven't got anything to let go. Well, just, you'd be surprised. It's in our nature to own something and to hold something, even if it's hardly anything. My sister, who was homeless for six years, used to tell me, you would not believe how hard homeless people fight each other for where they can even sleep sometimes. This is my space on Figueroa Street. This is my space behind the dollar store in Vista. And I'll fight you right now in a full slugfest 
over my space next to the Dempsey dumpster. We all gather things and we all want to hold on to things. And in life, in the journey of faith with the Lord is keep a loose handle on it. Keep, keep, make sure it's the Lord's and if he wants to build it up, build it up. If he says let it go, let it go. I'm grateful in my life that I've learned in the process of life and ministry to let go. You know, you study certain famous actors or famous sports figures, and you realize you can see examples of people who are extremely good at letting things go. Joe Gibbs, the great NFL football coach, that wasn't, he loved the Lord. He won those Super Bowls with the Washington Redskins. He wanted to, he just was like, hey, I'm done. This is a closed door with the Lord. If you read his biography, and I did, like the Lord just showed him, you're done with football. In the prime of his life as an NFL coach, at the zenith of being a coach. And he let it go, and he had one car, and he started Joe Gibbs Racing. And the rest is NASCAR history. He would have missed this incredible story of what God did with him with his hundreds of employees there in Charlotte, because I visited the place when I was working with the U.S. Olympic Committee. And I was like, it was unbelievable. All that, all that was there with Joe Gibbs Racing and the ministry he had with all those people, he would have missed it had he not let go of his NFL identity. How about Magic Johnson? He's a great NBA basketball player. He gets AIDS, and that's his identity. We all remember that in the early 90s when Magic had AIDS. It was like, wow, it was just unbelievable to us. He came back from that, played some great uh, NBA basketball. But what did he do after that? That wasn't his identity. He moved on from the NBA. He, he, he rebuilt Los Angeles that was destroyed in the riots in the early 90s. He rebuilt all that, the business plan, and became extremely successful with building inner city areas and creating commerce and industry for uh, lower income areas. And look at magic now. He just, he's just, he's still magic because he's going onward. So the key body of Christ, when God says let go, let go, because when we get to, etern- when we get to the end of the journey, we're going to have to let go of what? Our life. You want to be so free from the things of time, space, and matter that when God says let it all go, you just say yes and amen, and you go to glory. That's how Lorraine Llewellyn went two weeks ago, and I'm looking forward to doing her memorial. I can hear her laugh. I can hear her laugh. Paul said this in Philippians. When he talked about his credentials in life, he said, you know, I count these things as rubbish that I can attain to everything Christ has for me and know the fellowship of of the resurrection with him. And that's really the right attitude to have, just... When God says let it go, we've got to let it go. Just let it go. Let it go. Look upward and keep moving forward. So then when you get to the end of your journey and you've got to let it all go, it's an easy thing to do. If you're so free to be in like memory care and not have anything own you except the Lord. You'd be that really sweet lady at the table. You'd be the really sweet man at the table waiting for lunch at 11.15. Second thing we see about David here in his old and full of days, it says that uh, he gathered together all the leaders. Look at uh, verse 2 there. He gathered together all the leaders. Man, he's, so he gathered all the leaders together of Israel with the priests and the Levites. So he let go of what he had to let go of. And then, so if you look at, if you look at him letting go, we would say that was David with himself. He was securing himself, his self-identity, and he just let it go. Like, I'm okay, I'm good, I'm going to let it go. But here it's others. With others, he gathered him together, all the leaders we see in, these next, in this chapter and the next two chapters 
how he gathered all these people together with the leaders. They cast lots for who served which of the 24 weeks and which team you're part of. We're told when he picked the worship leaders in chapter 25, he brought together the captains of the army. He brought in the military to help him choose the worship leaders that would prophesy for the Lord. So stay with me. In this last year of his life, he's surrounded by lots of people. People who respect him. People that he respects. He's surrounded by some of the mighty men. Men who came to him when they're in debt, in distress, and discontent at the cave of Abdullam. And they became great mighty men and leaders in a great nation. Pretty much at its zenith right here when David's 70. His son Solomon, in writing Proverbs, would say, to have friends, one must be friendly. And if there's anything Solomon could have learned from watching his dad in the palace is how what great relationships he had with people. Remember, when the, when the king of uh, Amnon died, what did David try to do? He wanted to comfort and minister to the prince. He was a bridge builder. He presumed the best and looked for the best and tried to bring out the best. And Saul, who preceded him, when Saul ended his life, it says all Israel was scattered. And here we read that all Israel is gathered And some people live for 70 years, and they scatter. It's all about them, but they're negative, and it's always someone else's fault. They never accept responsibility, and they scatter everybody. They listen to the news, and it makes them scatter. They watch TV, and they scatter people. They read the internet, and it's scatter, scatter, scatter. They, They go on social media, scatter, scatter, scatter. It's all they do. But some people don't have time for the news because they're making the news with the king of the news. And those people are like who we want to be. We gather. We're building bridges and we're bringing Christ, who is the light and life of men, into situations and we're building bridges. David was a man of great faith and he was a man of great human relationships. Now, like all of us, he had his shortcomings in those relationships. But even when God was judging with the angel of the Lord, which we saw last week on the census, he said, Lord, don't let the curse be upon your people. Let it be upon me in my household. See, that's why God loved him so much. Because he cared about the people of God more than the man even in the mirror. And that's pretty amazing. He said, Lord, I've sinned greatly. Let it be upon me and even my household. God loved David so much. And David loved God so much. But David was a people person. And again, when you're, when, you come to the, when you're old and full of days, if you made time for friendships, you will have friendships. Exactly the amount of time you made for other people is the amount of time other people are going to make for you. That's just the way it is. I never thought of this in taking care of my dad, but it has struck me, struck me early on about first year or two helping my dad out when helping my dad was a six-hour commitment when we lived in San Diego. Go down after traffic at 9.30, get back before traffic at 3.30, and basically a work day. It occurred to me one day, in the, in the principles of sowing and reaping, that what I was doing for my dad, I was really setting myself up for what someone would do for me. In the measure I've given, I'll receive. Now, if I, if I step into eternity next year, then you'll realize I didn't get the payoff on that. But someone I love will. Because this universe is perfectly balanced by the God of justice who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And sowing and reaping will always pay out in time, space, and matter, and for all eternity. Like gravity, 
It, it just, it's just the way God set up his universe. What you put in is what you get out. And David made time for people, and people made time for David. And this isn't like people trying to undermine him, which he'd already been through. But these are loyal people, people that loved him. So when you come to the end of your life and you step into eternity, whether the opportunity is there for people that you poured into, like say, for example, the people that serve in our children's ministry. We've had so many wonderful people serve in our children's ministry for years and years and years. All they poured into kids and future generations. When they step into eternity, they might live in Arizona, Tucson, or somewhere like that, in a you know elderly community that's really nice and warm, good amenities. And they might step into eternity by themselves at you know Metropolitan Hospital downtown Tucson with maybe one relative by their side. But you know, all that they gave to the kids of this church for the last 20 years will still be to their account whether those people get to go see them or not. I saw a video of Mr. Daniel, famous Mr. Daniel from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. He's been doing kids' praise songs for like, as long as I've been saved, 35 years. Saw a new one of Mr. Daniel. Jennifer had it on TV for our grandkids. And Mr. Daniel's like rapping. He's got the rap gear. And he's like, because he, he takes scripture and he writes all these original songs, hundreds of them. I didn't even know it was Mr. Daniel. Like, look at this guy. Zippy, look at this guy. This guy's rat. It was Mr. Daniel, who's my age. It was awesome. Mr. Daniel has led tens of thousands, literally, of children and songs of truth from the word of God. Mr. Daniel may step into eternity surrounded by loved ones. He may step into eternity by himself. But the seed he sowed for the next generation will go on and on and on in time, space, and matter and for all eternity. So this is my point. Build friendships and build a network of friendships. We read that a man who isolates himself is unwise. Solomon said it in the Proverbs. And I'll tell you, coming from the future, especially younger people, listen to me. The older I get, the more I see more of my friends shut it down and just want to isolate themselves. Oh, in a house, on a hill somewhere in North County by themselves. They don't want anyone bugging them. They don't want to bug anyone else. They might buy the property on the lakes up there in the high desert. Once you get past Barstow, don't bother me. I won't bother you. But who wants to end their journey like that? If you got a lake, enjoy it and let your friends enjoy it. But who wants to end up there by themselves? waiting for the apocalypse. That's just no way to go. When Jim Gallagher's mom stepped in eternity a couple weeks ago, she had just moved from Huntington. She's early 80s, from Huntington to Vero Beach, Florida, where all the family was. And for the last four months of her life, all those grandkids and all those people hanging out with her, my daughter, Hannah, and all the joy, and then boom, she was super healthy, and she was just like that, eternity. And what a joyful final four months to be surrounded by all that family and friends. If you're not surrounded by family and friends and loved ones on the day of the Lord, don't let it be because you lived a life that prevented it. See, the thief on the cross is an interesting guy. He's the epitome of grace. The thief on the cross made it in heaven by believing in Jesus right then and there on the cross. Because Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But the one thing the thief on the cross couldn't do is relive his life and not be a thief, a taker, but be a giver. See, He's in glory, but his dimension of glory is equal to us in Christ. But the level, there's obviously a level of something in the next dimension that's completely related to what we did in obedience in this one, because we're told so. We're told that. So the thief is in there, but he did die alone on that cross. Apart from Jesus saving him, that's how his, that would have been his whole life. He couldn't come down and redo it. So we admire the grace that the thief on the cross was saved by grace, but what we really learn from that is that's not how we want to go. We want to just go sowing friendships and 
relationships and networking with people, not for financial gain, but just because we want to see people one for the Lord and shining for the Lord. David, when he was old and full of days, was surrounded by people, lots of them, loyal people, just lots of people. His captains, his mighty men, the priests, the leaders, they're all there. They're surrounded together, and it's incredible. It's a blessing. Would you be surrounded by people on the day of the Lord? Are you going to be surrounded by people? Have you given of yourself to people? When you're old and full of days, are you going to be surrounded by people? Are they going to bless the people you leave behind because you poured into them? The one thing we can do on planet Earth is change who we are. There's not a lot we can do about governments and trends and all sorts of things. And we can't get upset by what we can change because we can't change it. And the worst thing you can do is lose any fretting or worry or anxiety over things you cannot change. The smartest thing you can do is look in the mirror at who you can change and invite the Holy Spirit to change you for the day of the Lord. That you'll be letting you'll let go of things and you're ready for the day of the Lord. And you're mature because you could let go. Earth didn't own you. The Lord owned you and you let it all go. He didn't have to take it out of your hands. You just laid it down like a sacrifice. You let it go. And then you're surrounded by all those people that you poured into. And you sowed and you sowed and you sowed. And they're there with you in spirit, if not in presence. When you're old and full of days. And the final thing we see with David in this text is is David with God. We see David with himself, that he was secure in himself to let it all go. And David with others, he was surrounded by all these people who loved him and supported him, true friendships, people that he inspired and equipped. They were now with him, and they were going to take everything forward once he was moving on to an eternity. But the third thing we see is the best part. In the middle of describing these thousands of priests and what they're going to do, yeah, the 4,000 for gatekeepers and 4,000 for praising the Lord with musical instruments. Now we get the David quotation, which I made, said David, for giving praise. And that chapter 25 is the appointment, all those men to lead praise, new, skillful and apprentice. We saw that. The young and the old, they're all, everyone got in on the ship. 24 groups of worship leaders twice a year rotating in on the 48-week lunar calendar. While the priests were over here doing their stuff, they're singing praise. They woke up every day, and their job, when they were on the clock, was to sing praise skillfully to the Lord. Sing skillfully to the Lord. David, of course, made instruments. He praised the Lord. He was a worshiper. He had a relationship with the Lord, and he praised the Lord. And the last thing he gave planet Earth was the ability, was to advance, to advance the kingdom that other people could know the Lord the way he did. He set them up with the priesthood and animal sacrifices that they could come to the temple daily and find forgiveness for their sins through the animal sacrificial system. And then he set up those singers of praise so when they came, they would hear the songs of heaven. They would hear the psalms that we read. He wrote so many of those psalms. We read those psalms. Many of the songs we sing have remnants or portions of those psal- the psalms in the songs. And some of the songs we sing, particularly some of those over, older Calvary Chapel songs from the 70s, They're straight up Psalms of David from start to finish. The chorus is all there. They sang those songs. He sang those songs to the Lord 3,000 years ago. 
And we sing those same songs to the Lord 3,000 years later in the fullness of Christ. Isn't that amazing? And he wanted people to come and sing praise to the Lord. He wanted people to come to the temple and associate not this, the reality of this sacrificial system and the substitution for sin. He wanted them to, to hear the praise because it's one thing to be forgiven, but it's another to go forward in the power of the praise. We all want forgiveness, but do we learn to praise? You see, when you go forward and commit your life to Christ, you find forgiveness. But when you're sanctified and set apart and growing, you learn to praise. You receive forgiveness, but you learn to praise. When you praise him in the valley, when you praise him on the mountaintop, we all receive Christ and receive forgiveness through the blood. But not everybody sings praise and adoration and worship to the Lord. You learn to praise as you see his faithfulness working in your life. When you've cried out to the Lord and he's answered you, in the deepest valley when he's deeper, on the highest mountain peak he's higher, that's where you find the praise. David, he was good with the Lord and good for eternity and good with the man in the mirror. He gathered all those leaders to himself. He was good with his people, his network of people, the relationships he had built, what he'd sown he was reaping. But here he's given them a better future. And this is what I I want us to really leave with her tonight. When we think about younger people and the next generation, we want to be like David. You older people, we want to be like David. We want to look upon our adult children and our children's children and even future grandchildren, great-grandchildren, because my dad has a bunch of them. So if you make your 90s and you have all those great-grandchildren, we want to look upon them and always see them with a, a faith, hope, and love and an expectation of a greater future with the Lord than anything we've ever experienced. David had elevated the kingdom of God like never before. The Ark of the Covenants in Jerusalem, the tabernacles there, the plan for the temple, Solomon, it's all there. Victory with all the surrounding people, it's all there. And yet David's like, no, but there's more. He saw, listen, when he's old and full of days, he didn't see self-pity in the mirror or a doom and gloom apocalyptic future for Israel and his son. He saw nothing but the glory, the glory of the Lord. And he wanted to do everything he could in his last year of his life to ensure that the next generation knew that as God had been faithful to him, he would always be faithful to them. For one generation shall proclaim your praises to another, and to another, and another. And a righteous man, a good man, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's what David saw. When he was old and full of days, he was full of faith, and expectation, and he put together these teams of priests and worship leaders to run their 48-week cycle on that lunar calendar to make sure that when he left, when he made sure when he left planet Earth, everyone was praising the Lord and under the blood. <laughs> Listen, body of Christ, that's the Great Commission. Don't you want to leave planet Earth? The legacy of your life is you want to see people under the blood and praising the Lord? That's why we get up in the morning. That's why we shine. We're told to be his witnesses, his ambassadors, and to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I'll tell you one thing. As I'm old and full of days and they're getting fuller, I see a brighter future for planet earth and the next generation with Jesus than anything I've ever seen in my lifetime. And so should you. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the praise doesn't end when we step into eternity. In fact, we should set it up that it finds a whole nother gear when we leave the party. Yes, and amen.